You're listening to another sermon by Pastor Michael Zapata from the Potter's House Christian Church. Book of Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22 through 32. Today uh, we're living in a generation that is majoring in a lack of self-control. And uh, no doubt there are uh, people every single day today that are uh, trying to get everything under control. But self-control is definitely not something that people today are actually uh, seeing lived out in their lives. Just today I saw this kid that was having an absolute fit. Uh, parents just watched, uh, didn't do anything. I noticed as everyone had stopped uh, and uh, in the shop and actually had began to just stare uh, much like I was doing. Everyone was really taken back uh, when I actually stopped uh, that kid from getting smacked by a complete stranger right in front of everyone. Uh, I amaze myself how much self-control I actually do have, and it's really improving. Hallelujah. I was going to be that complete stranger that I was going to smack that kid. If you didn't get that, some of you will get that on the way home. Praise God. Ephesians chapter 4. I want to preach on self-control tonight and start at verse 22 through to 32. That's our main text for this series. The Bible says these words, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 25, Therefore putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer. But rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no uh, corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, for by whom you were sealed uh, for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another." tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Self-control, I want to first focus on self-control itself. Now, this is a big issue today that we all know we all lack self-control, and it seems as though it's a high priority to now try to help others uh, to obtain this. You will go through uh, help programs where you can now go on YouTube, you can download this on uh, the internet in order to be able to try to help you uh, and uh, be able to tr uh, you know, uh, get your life in uh, uh, the right frame of mind. And it all involves self-control. They have, uh, today we have an access, a vast amount of access to all these types of things, breathing exercises, all aiming to calm you down so that you don't uh, exert yourself, lose self-control, uh, and therefore uh, make a spectacle. Um, uh, the truth is, is that uh, as if expressing self-control is someone behaving as if nothing in this world actually affects you. And so the world looks as uh, self-control, as your ability to process life without actually ever getting upset, uh, ever responding. And we've come to the understanding that this is actually impossible. What you have is a generation that is now 
oppressing their emotions, repressing their feelings uh, so that they're not expressing them entirely uh, or even just giving more uh, uh, expression in other areas rather than actually facing the real issue that is at hand. Now, I'm happy to report that irregardless to what the world thinks and views about self-control and the expression of our emotions, it's very apparent that our Bible, the Word of God, says and gives us instructions that we can be angry. Our text in verse 26, be angry and do not sin, not let the sun go down on your wrath. And so this imagery of self-control, no doubt, is brought to a greater understanding. The world, no doubt, promotes the life of living in uh, absolute, uh, uh, you know, know, separated from the world as one would as a monk meditating on a mountaintop away from the frustration realities that no doubt entail every single day. But the Bible is very much entwined and uh, uh, reveals human personality, that there are things that are going to cause you to be angry, to get upset. Uh, There are going to be times where you will be provoked. Uh, You will have people push your buttons. Uh, And again, the Bible does and disregard that and say, you know what, you ought to just uh, pretend like that doesn't happen or that you don't have emotions or feelings. Uh, just carry on as a Christian. Uh, the truth is, is that the Bible says, be angry, but do not sin. Another definition of anger is that anger is a feeling or emotion that a person has uh, when being offended or wronged. How many people here tonight, you've ever been offended or wronged? So just me and Alana. Okay, so... Let me just offend you then, and carry, and carry. Few of us. <laughs> the truth is, is that we've all faced this reality. Someone has said something, they've mentioned something, they've maybe even treated you the way that you don't want to be treated. And as a result, maybe you've, uh, a better person than me, but you've resulted in anger, right? You've gotten upset, you've been uh, across with that person. What's interesting is that Jesus was one who faced this reality as well. While being on this earth, we know Jesus was a spotless lamb. He had sinned, not, uh, he, he had not sinned, and therefore only uh, taking on the sins of this world. But while he lived, uh, he actually confronted people about their standards, about their level of compassion, uh, of their worship. Uh, and, and this was done uh, uh, provoking people uh, to be able to come with a firm understanding of who the one true God is. Uh, but as he was going about this, uh, the truth is, is that people provoked him. In fact, we see that Jesus loses his temper and gets angry in the temple. Matthew chapter 21, verse 12 through to 13. uh, Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who brought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables uh, of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. But you have made it into a den of thieves. And so if you would allow me just a moment to illustrate what that would have looked like. No, I won't. (laughs) But think about it. Here is righteous Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb of God. He is grabbing a table and he's throwing it up. There are things being smashed. He is driving people out. This is definitely out of character. And yet we know that Jesus had not sinned. goes on further to say that after he had driven 
everyone out of the temple. He performed miracles. And so no doubt God was with him and anointing him. And so this was much of what Jesus Christ experienced. Now that is actually recorded to be the second time Jesus drove people out of the temple and was angry. The first time is recorded in John chapter 2 verse 13 through to 16. The Bible says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to the Jerusalem. And, when he, found, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen, and sheep and doves, and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with their sheep and their oxen, poured out of the change money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. So this is, this, this is actually the first time. The second time he's, uh, he's driving them out, calling them thieves, uh, a, play, a den of thieves. Uh, but the first time he actually crafted a little whip. He put some ropes together and he, whack! He would have been getting a few little people on the back of the heels as they're running off. Uh, that would have been a sight to see. And yet what, I, what I'm here to declare to you is that Jesus remained sinless. So next time, what's this saying? What's this saying? We're not excusing Anger. We're not just saying, you know what, you ought to fly off the handle. This was a righteous anger. We understand that there are things that are going to provoke us and we ought to get angry at uh, things that are injustice, at sin when it, is, uh, when it is happening or attacking our lives or uh, the temptation. We ought to rise up with a righteous anger and drive it out. Being a Christian is not a blatant disregard to being provoked or offense. We are emotional creatures but as spirit-filled Christians, we are called to remain in still self-control. Galatians 5, 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is joy, love, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So, what is the Bible saying? It is possible for you to get angry and still not sin. It is possible for you to get angry but still do not sin. So let's look secondly at where we slip up. I think it's fair to say that the line is always very faint. When we allow anger to grow in our own personal lives, when we harvest and we begin to harbor uh, anger in our lives, it grows and it manifests and it takes control over our lives. And so if we are told it's okay to be angry, but then it obviously has to, uh, we cannot allow it to lead us to sin. The line is one that we need to then manage so that we don't drift into the deep end and therefore fall into sin. Last, we last week I read an illustration about eight things uh, that mentally strong people do and the first thing uh, that a mentally strong person does is that they don't uh, ruminate and what that means is that they don't dwell on things they don't relive things they don't talk about them over and over and over again and discuss them uh, did you hear what they said did you see what they did can you believe uh, their uh, you know what they have done and how they treated me uh, and this is an injustice and they dwell on it dwell on it and as uh, that begins to be the natural response it grows and turns into something that becomes out of control now, this is where the bible gets it right every time because it allows us the ability to be normal 
It allows common sense in our own personal lives. And this is why you ought to be glad that we are serving the one true God. Because the Bible says, be angry, do not sin. And it goes further and say, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Now this gives us a time frame. This helps us. If you're one person here, much like me in the past and even till today, we battle with anger, trying to exercise self-control so I don't fly off the handle every single time someone cuts me off, my children disappoint me, something is miscommunicated. We have to give ourselves guidelines so that we don't continue to leave this emotion left unchecked. The Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Now that's profound because how many know that the difference between anger and rage has to do with timing? Is that we can be angry for a day and if you don't deal with it one day, two days, three days, you're now involving yourself in rage. And so the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Things can catch you off guard in the early morning. Maybe someone says something or begins to grate on you and provoke you from the morning to the afternoon. And the Bible says, while that is fine, don't take it home with you. Don't pillow your head at night. Dream about what you're going to do to them. Wake up the next morning and perform it. I remember I worked with a guy, and this guy, every single morning, from the moment I got there, he would uh, offend me, he would say things, the most vile things you could ever think about. We're bricklayers, we're the lowest of the lows, we're the scum of the earth, right? We're the modern day slaves. And this guy, no doubt, lived up to that. He wore it with a badge of honor. He would sing the most vile things. He would look at me while he said it. And he knew I was a Christian all the while waiting for a response. He'd poke me. He'd try to push my buttons. And there I would be just head down, just trying to lay bricks, do my own thing and just make it through the day. Every day I would have to come home and pray that everything he said would leave me entirely. I would leave that place knowing that I needed to fill myself once again with the Word of God, with His Spirit. I would have to put Christian music on because I would be absolutely violated in my mind by the end of the day. And this went on for months. What's different is that every day I dealt with it. It was a battle. It was tough. Every day I would go back in, smiling in the morning, and get ready for it. And you, I would do my best to block it out, and I would do my best to try to avoid it, but I, it was unavoidable. What's interesting about it is that years on later, this made a huge impression on him, and he later got saved. He couldn't believe at how I... Every single day, irregardless of what he would say, the violating things he would bring up and try to provoke me about, just every day I would just kind of smile, God bless you, I'm praying for you, one day you're going to, and he did, he got saved. So think about that, and how ultimately you being willing, listen, things are going to provoke you, things are going to frustrate you, but when you deal with them every day and say, I'm not going to dwell on this any more than just today. 
I'm going to deal with it. The Bible says that you now begin to gain dominion over the emotion of anger. Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things sufficient, for the day is its own trouble. Here is Jesus Christ in one chapter mentions and says to us, Do not worry. Four times. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. And He says that four times in one chapter, and I'm trying to really interpret that, and I'm pretty sure Jesus is trying to tell us, don't worry. Because there are so many things that rise up just in one day. And if you're not careful, they entangle themselves in your emotions. And He says, you're going to carry what's to yesterday's into tomorrow and destroy your future. So we link an explosion of rage when we choose not to leave what happened yesterday and take it into today. Now the Word of God is clear. Be angry, do not sin, don't let the sun go down in your wrath. For some of you, it's good that you came to church because the sun's gone down, it's time to deal with it. The first word used in our text is the word anger. The second is wrath. Now, we don't normally use wrath. People today don't use wrath in their common language, but it is translated as rage. So what's the difference between anger and rage? It's very simple. Rage can be considered to be an action in retaliation to the anger a person has actually brought us to. Rage happens when this emotion persists, persists for longer than just one day. Rage is what causes us to wake up angry, wake up already upset. Rage is when we're functioning in something that happened yesterday, the week before, and we have not dealt with it. Like the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Generally, after, angry, after anger, people normally feel guilty. And that's a good sign. That's an appropriate sign response to when you get angry immediately you know what i got angry i'm sorry i shouldn't have yelled i shouldn't have said that i shouldn't have kicked the cat i'm apologizing and you deal with it rage is a bad emotion because it has the tendencies for you to actually completely black out of your thoughts and all of your actions you don't even remember did i do that there's a hole in the wall with a fist your size. Yes, that's you. But you've blocked it out. Because you think, you know what? I'm, I, that's, I just can't control it. No, you're not dealing with the emotion correctly. Therefore, it is taking control of your, over uh, your life. Let's look thirdly and in closing at clean house. Now, it's been described in Scripture as our body being a house. And in every house, there are rooms you visit often. Areas you don't and areas that you visit commonly. There is a room called the living room and this is where you live, right? So it's called the, pretty self-explanatory for most people. If you live on the couch, you live in the lounge room, that sort of thing. And so that is the whole purpose, right? So your body being a house, it represents a location where there are separate rooms. Now as Christians, we're doing the best we can to clean the house, right? Keep the body clean so that nothing inside of it is going to destroy your home. 
And so here is a spring clean for us as we step into 2020. We have to find the old things that we don't use, that are toxic, that we don't need. And we need to clean them out of our house or out of our body so they don't ultimately breed and become something where the devil can reside. Now, this is how we are instructed to treat these emotions. The Bible says, give no place for the devil. Give no place for the devil. In other words, that is a location that is actually seen as an actual uh, a titled. It's like a D. It's like an agreement. Okay, devil, you can stay in my house, but you can only live in that little cupboard. Now, how many know the devil doesn't live by the rules? And if you give him a little place in your house, he's going to abuse that and somehow win his way into the greater areas of your life. And so it is important for you to understand that we need to be able to clean house, do a spring clean so that the devil doesn't get a hold of our emotions. Now, this is how we are instructed to treat these emotions. There are eight basic emotions, anger, anticipation, joy, trust, fear, surprise, sadness, and, and disgust. Uh, all common and are fine if can be controlled, right? If you don't control these eight basic common emotions, they will override your life. And this is exactly what the devil wants to do. He will use one of these. We're focusing on anger because that's the most common many times. Uh, and so we are seeing uh, that it is something, the moment we give a place to the devil, the devil abuses that. This is a location or occupancy, like I just said. I, uh, it leads us to begin to think like I have the right to be angry. It gives us the, the mentality that therefore I'm going to, uh, uh, I have the right to act this way and therefore I'm going to react in this manner and, uh, uh, and that is because uh, uh, somehow I have made an agreement uh, and this is fine. I, am, uh, I have made a decision in my mind. I can do these things uh, because I'm an angry person uh, and there's nothing you can do about it. Now, what we, have, uh, what we are called to do is cancel these leases with the devil and a victim from the house. Number one is you have to, if, it's going to be, if you've made an agreement with the devil, if you're a person that uh, and just wrestles with anger, you have to rewrite this lease. In other words, he's running out of time. He's got to get out. You've got to evict him. Otherwise, if he stays there too long, the devil's going to cause you to outburst. You're going to once again have meltdowns. You're going to black out and punch things and, and act in ways that you are, are not going to be proud of. And so you need to rewrite this lease. That's, that means you're going to uh, immediately say, I'm going to control my emotions. Number two. If you do slip up, you have to own it. You can't blame somebody else. Well, you made me do this. No, that doesn't cut it like that. It doesn't sit well. If you fail, no problem. Come to the house of God, pray, repent, get your heart right, but don't play the blame game. It is nobody's fault but your own. 
That means that you need to go back to step one, rewrite the lease and say, devil, you're not going to try to tempt me to melt down, to have an outburst or blackout moments. I'm going to stay in control. And then you will follow through the second time again, third time, whatever it may take. I am going to own this. If I'm going to get upset, if I'm going to fail, whatever it may be, I get angry again. It is my fault and I'm going to apologize for it. Number three... Work on a strategy to overcome your meltdowns. Our text is taken from a psalm. Our psalm is Psalm 4 verse 4. And the psalmist is writing and very, being very descriptive about his, uh, th- the issues that he's faced with. It starts like this in verse 4. Be angry and do not sin. It's exactly like our text. But then it says, meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. So think about this strategy that the psalmist had. He understood, I can't be angry, allow myself to sin while I'm angry. And so then my next step is going to be, I need to meditate. And he gives an exact location within your heart, on your bed. In other words, he's not going to go to the next day without dealing with the issues that he faced that day. This was the psalmist's strategy. And everyone needs a location, a place to go to privately and vent out your raw emotions that you've felt with, that you're going through. Everyone needs that. Listen to me. If you somehow always just pretend like you're, everything's fine, you're in public, yeah, yeah, not a problem, and, and you don't deal with it at some point, this is why it's, it's absolutely instrumental to come to the altar. The altar is a place where you've got a a location. God, I'm leaving this at the altar. I'm going to leave and go back to my house. And that's not coming with me. Now, if it's not just at the altar, it needs to be a place where you could be alone. Yell it out if you have to. Scream it out. Lock yourself in a little cupboard and just go to town. Work on a strategy. Because if you don't overcome this, it will overcome you. And there is no one you can blame but yourself. Now this is part of a process. What you need to understand is this series is looking at a new creation. Now if you've been saved for like three months, six months, a year, maybe even three years, take some courage from this, that The disciples had Jesus Christ as their pastor and they still backslid after three years. So I want you to just put that in the back of your mind. That if you stumble, you fall, you maybe misplay, you know, whatever. You get angry, don't freak out. Come back to church, surround yourself with Christians and keep serving God. Don't get caught up in, that's it, I don't feel worthy, I can't raise my hands, I'm not going to sing, I'm not going to pray. No, no, that's exactly what the devil wants. Your ability to overcome this is going to strengthen you as a Christian. Now, one thing's for sure, it gets easier in time. You have to allow time. You can't, well, I've been in, you know, I've read my Bible once and still, I'm the same. Well, give it time. Well, I prayed and nothing happened. Well, pray again. Well, I've been to church. I've done this. I tithe. I did, you know, just keep doing it. And over time, 
you'll see God move supernaturally. James chapter 4, verse 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. It's not he might flee from you, it's he will. He has to. Jesus Christ has won the victory on the cross. Therefore, the more we fill ourselves with the Spirit of God and all that he has, the devil has to leave. Remember, this is a fight worth fighting. And the devil is trying to provoke you to be angry and sin so that you don't feel worthy to come back. But listen to me, if you are willing to put up a good fight, don't fall into sin. God will fight this battle with you. You will feel His supernatural strength. There'll be things that people will say that it won't even affect you. And you'll realize, that's not me, that's God. I wanted to lay hands on you and pray for you. God helped me, right? And that is the transformation of being a new creation. Be angry, but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. No one moving around just for a few moments.